The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, normally I would say you are flying high with the Kisten Solak Show. This is episode 70. However, the Eagles' season is officially over with the 20-14 divisional round loss to the Saints, so you are not, in fact, flying high. However, I feel pretty good about this season on the whole. I know Ben does, too, and I know I sound dejected right now. I'm Michael Kist, your host. You were the best doggone co-host in the game, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, help me out of this funk, brother. How you doing? Man, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. <laughs> I'm feeling surprisingly peaceful, relatively uh, upbeat, which I mean, like, I don't guess. I think upbeat's probably not too surprising. Here's what I know. I know that a team that was ravaged by injuries played its way into the playoffs. I know that a team that... Uh, embraced an incredible underdog mentality and an and inspiring approach to football, won a playoff game in Chicago that they likely never should have won, had very little chance of winning. And then I know they came into New Orleans with every belief that they would win, played four quarters of very, very good football, and just really couldn't overcome injuries, whether in-game injuries or injuries that had you know already occurred before the game. I mean, listen, I... I, I shared this during the game, this was heavily reminiscent for me of the second Cowboys game, a game where it felt like the Eagles generally outplayed their opponent, but just simply couldn't overcome in-game injuries. I mean, like uh, Josh Hawkins giving up some key third down conversions and some key touchdowns. Well, Mike can't really fault Josh Hawkins too much. There's a reason why he's not the starter. There's a reason why he was a, a street free agent or practice squad candidate. You know what I mean? You have an opportunity late as we've had so many opportunities late and as we always like to say, a lot of this game is chaos. More of this game than we want to admit is chaos. And so, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, who's been playing out of his mind for the past six weeks, drops a slant, bounces off his hands, and, and, and you know, 
Saints Michael Thomas drops a, drops a, uh, doesn't really drop it, it's behind him, but the ball hits his hands and drops just a little bit too low for Cravon LeBlanc to catch it. The Alshon one bounces just high enough that it lands in Marshawn Lattimore's lap. You know what I mean? Like, bad bounce of the football has never been more easily characterized. And a lot of people are criticizing that play call right there to not let the clock run down to the two-minute warning. And some people are saying that's why Alshon Jeffrey dropped the ball. Well, why did, you know, it like, that makes no sense to me. That's a, that's the ultimate right. thing that we try to avoid on this show is the results over process thinking there you go. that a lot of people are taking this. Now, I understand when the Eagles ran the ball with Sproles at the very end there, I was thinking, me personally, because I looked away for a second and nearly missed the interception because I was thinking they were going to take it to the two-minute warning. However, and I'm sure that we're probably going to hear something like this from Doug, that in that situation, it was box count the numbers, run it. Sure. If you get a light box, which I'm sure that the, the Eagles did, I have to go back and, and check the tape, as Hugh Jackson would say. But then after that, if you get to the line and you see what you want, then take it, then run the play. If you don't like what you want, then sit on it. Full saw it. He liked it. He ran it. And the process was good. The ball should have been caught. And I, and, and that's, that's, that's where I, I, I take issue with the people saying that, oh, why would you run that play there? Well, the play should have worked. The play should have absolutely worked. And Jeffrey just, dropped it that just football is chaos that's sometimes that stuff happens he didn't drop it because they quote-unquote rushed to play they're at the they weren't like running up to the line or anything like that it wasn't like this frantic type thing the situation where they had to get a playoff it was was totally normal they've been through this a thousand times in practice to think that a professional athlete a professional wide receiver like alshon jeffries rushed into the play and drops it because of that it's just totally wild to me and look i feel awful for Alshon Jeffrey, and a lot of people are going to be mad at him and, and blame him for this loss. And there was a lot of reasons that we were in this situation. And, and I get that you're going to be mad at Jeffrey for it. At the same time, in the back of my head when it happened, I felt this is a player who played an entire season with a torn rotator cuff that none of us knew about, came out into the playoffs, played his tail off, absolutely bald, and was one of the big reasons that we were able to get it done last year. So I give him some credit there and you just know no one is going to beat Alshon Jeffrey up about that drop more than Alshon Jeffrey listen when when they went slow-mo on Doug giving him a hug and Doug kept on saying I'm proud I'm proud my emotions (laughs) I got very weepy I cried a lot of stuff that got me absolutely immediately teared up Oh my goodness, Alshon, who is officially now one of us. Like, he's been one of us, but like, such a a Philly guy, really, especially after the win over the Bears. It's heartbreaking. And simply, when it comes to the logic of the play call, yeah, your best wide receiver, open in space. Uh, Foles was late to the throw, which could have contributed to the drop. Like, if you watch Alshon, he runs the route, and then he kind of like puts his hands out. Where is it? And he's like, yeah, he probably is yelling at Nick, like, Nick! And then, and then he has to readdress the football. So it falls a little late to it. I want to see what he was looking at on that play. We had a coach who could not have possibly handled a five-point deficit late in the fourth quarter against the Bears any better in the red zone. Right. Could not have possibly. Like, like you forced the, the Bears to use two of their three timeouts and you scored on fourth down. It couldn't have done, gone any better. And then the very next week, again, a player just makes a mistake in execution. A, a mistake that coach... Player, quarterback, everybody would acknowledge as a mistake in execution. And we want to question the coach. I mean, I, I understand the um, the impulse. I understand the, 
you know, like the question, like certainly they could have taken it down to the two minute warning and nobody would have batted another eye at it. You know, like that's just what you typically do is an aggressive head coach. It's an aggressive head coach right. who tried to pick up quick yardage when he thought he had an opportunity to. And that's what Duck has always done. And that's what Duck will continue to do. It's won, won the Super Bowl. And I don't really think it contributed much to the loss today. If anything, I thought the aggressiveness attacking downfield during the second, the third, and the fourth quarter when Foles was really struggling to throw accurate balls downfield right. is more damning. But nobody, you know, we're not going to bring that up because it's a bit more nuanced of a, of, a, of a take. So I understand the impulse. Like, that that was the highest leverage play of the game. And so obviously when it doesn't go your team's way, you question it. Like, that. Like you know, I'm never going to fault anybody for that. But I just think that there's there's a very clear, simple explanation for why it went the way that it did. And and again, kind of be embracing the fact that football is chaos. That we, we, we think that we can get 100% of it right and we can affect 100% of it, but we can't. We can affect like 5% of it. And the rest of it is just up to the whims of the universe and the ladies of fate. Like that's just what it is. Everybody wants something to hang on and say that was the reason. Yeah. Everyone wants to be able to point the finger at something and say that that's the reason that we lost this game. There are a thousand contributing factors into this. And I mean, you, you talk about what this team has been through this season, and I'm proud of them for being able to overcome it. I remember a chat that me and you had late into the season before the Saints game. I think that I brought this up recently. I said, I just want to see some doggone fight. I'm proud of this team. Sure. They fought this game. They came out. They dominated the first quarter. They built a 14 to nothing lead. Things started to fall apart. After that, because you have the Saints drive, where the following players go down on this drive, which was... Mike has pulled out his notebook, folks. The driver, the Saints, made it 14-7. to Rasul Douglas goes down, which means Josh Hawkins has to come in, and he was in and out throughout the game. Brandon Graham goes to the tent. Fletcher Cox goes to the, goes to the locker room. Michael Bennett mm-hmm. goes down on a play. Before that, Brandon Brooks had just gone down. And, I and man, it sucks for him because that looks like it, – it, what was it, a torn Achilles? Is that confirmed? Yeah, so when you are an offensive lineman and you're up on your toes like that getting walked back, you can extend your Achilles too much because your heel's not on the ground and it'll pop. And you've seen that, that sort of injury happen before, very similar to that. And so I was kind of thinking to myself, like, I think it's an Achilles pop. And I was going to tweet it, but I didn't want to tweet it because I don't really know how injuries work, right? But I, the, so I, I sent you, I sent the message to you. Yeah. And then, like, every, like, ex-offensive lineman, like, pro football doc was like, yo, that's an Achilles pop. And then they come back from commercial, and they're like, we're not even going to show the injury right. again. I was like, dang it, got to tweet next time, man. Got to send the tweet. Yeah, no, and that was wild. And that's where the game started to shift. The Eagles were in firm control of this thing offensively and defensively sure. for the for the first uh, quarter. And I don't want to say that the Saints didn't deal with any injuries. Sheldon Rankins went down, and I think it was an Achilles for him as well. So that like the watch between Sheldon Rankins and Brandon Brooks is a real thing. I right. mean, those are two big contributors for both those teams. But on the defensive side for the Eagles, dealing with all those injuries mm-hmm. and what they had to do, and then you know you're Jim Schwartz and you're up against it trying to coach this secondary, which now has another rotating. Right. It felt like, to me, it felt like the first eight weeks of the season just compounded into one game, into one drive, and now you have to adjust sure. on the fly. You know what I mean? Like, Can't where's get the off stability? of the field on third downs. Yo, the, yeah, exactly. What what was it? The the uh... <laughs> third and sixteen. That that conversion of Michael Thomas on third and sixteen was something else, man. That was just I don't I like like boneheaded. I don't know, just unaware play. I mean, Michael Thomas just sits in a hole in his zone and nobody got connected to him. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like they do like it wasn't a picket fence, but you could say that they're playing really soft. You could say it's a variation of it or whatever you want to call it. They're playing their spot dropping to the sticks. 
Bradham is there. Maddox is in the area. Nobody gets connected to Michael Thomas. How do you allow that to happen? Number one. So there's some warranted right. criticism there. You're on the weak side. Right. That's that was that was isolated wide receiver with a back releasing out into the flat, which obviously the back is Camara. I get that. But you've got you have a safety over the top and he literally just stopped at the sticks. Just go ahead and collision him. You know, so I agree with you very much in the sense of like a lot of common tropes from the first day games for sure. Ben, that drive, that drive where that third and 16 happened was right. 18 plays. And if you check NFL.com, I don't know if they've changed this, but at the time, because of the penalties that the Saints had incurred, they credit them with an 18 play, 112 yard drive that took 11 and a half minutes off. That of might the be clock. good. They had second and 20 twice. They had first and 20 one time. They had third and 16. Just so maddening that you can't get off the field. Right. Yeah. You want to get off the field there. But honestly, that drive was helpful in how long it took and the amount of penalties and so on and so forth because the the saints would only get two more offensive possessions after that well two more impactful ones the one being uh the ensuing uh a field goal kick right 20 to 14 uh and then the next one being uh, a drive where they attempted to run the clock down and were forced into a punt situation right and so for a team that like and this is important to note uh, the saints were a team that could score very quickly and they weren't really able to do much of that against Philadelphia. They had the touchdown drive where they had the fourth down conversion, which my big coaching decision complaint for the week will be not taking the penalty and bringing it to third and 11. When you're at home down 14 nothing, just off an interception, I think that's the easiest time to go for it on fourth and half a foot. Uh, and, and also you've got the Saints who are a team that are going to run fake punts because of Taysom Hill. Like that's literally, I don't attribute Taysom Hill anything. That is the only reason he exists is to be a gadget player on special teams. So like the one way that I actually think Taysom Hill brings value ended up mattering against the Eagles, which pisses me off. The but only anyway. reason you should have him in there if there's no reason to have Drew Brees on the field. <laughs> now, uh, so, so, so that, you know, there's that play, but whatever I thought, like, that's my one coaching decision. I think I have umbrage with, but so it was a, it was a fourth down conversion drive where they also had uh another uh i believe third down conversion that was significant on that drive that becomes seven they have the field goal before the half then they have the super long drive for seven and then another field goal where the eagles have a good stop in the red zone mike 20 points for the drew Brees led saints offense Which is great. that is their lowest number this year at home right they had they had 14 against panthers in the last game where it was uh it was um teddy bridgewater who was playing yeah. right Next closest was 21 against the Cleveland Browns, all the way back in week two. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we're looking at 40 points at home, 33 points at home, 43 points at home, 45 points at home, 48 points at home against the Eagles, 31 points at home, 31 points at home. This Brown, this Saints team has only been kept under 30 points at home twice this year. Yeah. Out of their eight games that they played. Under 30, Mike. <laughs> And this was the Eagles. Eagles home to 20 with Josh Hawkins out there taking significant snaps. Right. Stellar game uh, from Jim Schwartz. And, and what it really was, we talked about this on the podcast, the injury to Rasul Douglas was was massive, huge. Yeah. It was it was so huge. And simply, again, I'll ask you, just like I did after the Bears game, go back and remember all of Rasul Douglas's targets. You can't. People aren't throwing the ball to Rasul Douglas' side. And they did early in the game, and he had a great breakup. Sure. I, I really don't think... It's because he's, like, getting extra help. I don't. No, he's not. Teams prefer the matchup against Devontae Maddox, which makes sense. Right. Like, I like you know, Maddox had a great stretch of play, but he has a, a smaller, not super long corner who can be exposed in zone coverage because he can't get connected in the contact window because he really struggles with physicality because he's small. Like, that's why you kind of like him better in a nickel role, but whatever. Rasul Douglas, when he comes out, 
you can't put any help to Maddox's side anymore, number one, because Josh Hawkins is the other outside corner. Yes. And we had a lot of people ask us who number 48 is. He's Josh Hawkins. That's what. That's all the information that we have about him. I don't know anything else. <laughs> Yo, he was signed to the practice squad on December 11th. He was activated on December 26th. He had two weeks on the practice squad to learn this defense, and then he had to be activated because Sidney Jones has the hamstring injury. That's, right. that's wild. And the Eagles... Right, and the Eagles chose to move on from Chandon Sullivan and Devontae Bowsby at a time at which the front office probably thought, you know, how much will it matter for us to have a corner, an outside depth corner who's been on the team for five more weeks, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't think (laughs) at the time of that personnel move, I, you know, really don't think Harry Roseman and Joe Douglas thought the Eagles were going to be playing in the divisional round, okay? Like, you know, just from a team-building perspective, you know, like there, there wasn't really much there. Um, so Bosby and Chandon, would, would one of them potentially been better? Probably. Like Bosby probably would have been less of a liability than Josh Hawkins. I don't know how much leverage that would have had in the game. But the point being, when Sewell goes down, it's either leave Maddox alone against Michael Thomas, which went really badly, or play cover three right. and leave Josh Hawkins against like anybody. Right. And that also went pretty badly. You know, and, and so, like, like I said, reminiscent of the second Dallas game in which this Eagles defense like played their hearts out and did a good stuff on the X's and O's. But simply when you have Michael Thomas going against Avante Maddox and Josh Hawkins, again, with very poor safety help because there's no Rodney McLeod and Corey Graham and Trey Sullivan, both aren't impact depth players. This secondary is so beat up yeah. and they held 20 points, right? I, I saw a lot of like, where's the pass rush, which <clears throat> drew, they came out on that 18 play drive and threw the ball within two seconds of like every snap, just dropped to the bottom of his hitch and throw every snap. And that's what we talked about in the lead up with the preview show. That's exactly what that was my point. The the QB rating for Drew Brees against the Eagles under pressure the previous game was over uh, was over 100. I mean, we talked about the week 2 game with Ryan Fitzpatrick where he got it out super quick and his QB rating was like 136 or some crap. Like both were top 3 for the week. It doesn't matter if you don't have the coverage behind it. It doesn't matter if the quarterback is getting it out in 2 seconds because you're not taking him off that first read. The pass rush was gone for a little bit. And I understand that, but at the same time, if you're allowing them to just wheel and deal, then it, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at right. all. And 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 Fletcher Cox had an amazing game. Let's take a moment to say, yeah, Fletcher Cox had an extraordinary game. But you're spoiled by Fletcher Cox, right? Eagles fans, I'm here to say you're spoiled by Fletcher Cox because when Fletcher Cox gets pressure within 0.5 seconds of the snap, right? That's not what pressure usually looks like, right? <laughs> like that's not how like like that's because Cox is an elite player. It's special. And when he does that, right, like on that screen, uh, that tight end screen the Saints tried to run, which ended up being a forced punt, which gave the Eagles the chance to go uh, to get the ball back 20-14, right? Like they're running a little trap, a little, you know, like a, a little misdirection and trying to, to trap Cox and it just doesn't work at all because Cox gets upfield so quickly. Like pressure doesn't always look like that. Right. It typically doesn't, <laughs> right? Typically, more typically what you see is like the Brandon Graham sack. Or like the Michael Bennett to Chris Long sack on third down, where it was a, a combined confluence of multiple players in multiple rush lanes, uh, moving the quarterback off of his spot and making it easier for their teammates to get there. That's what pressure looks like. And Philadelphia defensive line was providing that for four quarters. When Cox went down, it was undoubtedly harder. They had some reps where they did not generate pressure. The third and 16 to Michael Thomas is a, is a good example of where uh, Schwartz went f- one tech, three tech, nine tech, so three rushers to one side, and then a nine tech on the other side. What does that do? It left the middle wide open, and that's where Breeze climbed up to. So you have umbrage there, like, you know, in terms of maintaining rush lane integrity and making sure Breeze can't manage the pocket because he's a great guy in that regard. 
But generally speaking, the pass rush was on point. Secondary rallied up and tackled quite well. You, they worked within the construct of the injuries to outside cornerback. They gave up 20 points. Eagles defense holding the Saints to 20 points like that in meetings this week. It was like, listen, if you like keep them with this, like with 20 points, we should be able to win this game. Like, like yeah. the offense should have been able to score more than 20 points in my points. So definitely it's not on the defense. Last defensive point. I'm going to wet blanket the ever-living daylights out of Philadelphia right now. Are you ready? Just going to sopping wet, disgusting blanket on top of everyone. Can I guess where you're going with this? Yes. Is it Craven LeBlanc? I'm so mad that you knew. Don't you dare, LeBlanc? <laughs> Don't you dare. Caught a bad underthrow for an interception on the first play of the game. It, it was, was an awesome. Underthrow. It was a great catch. It was a bad underthrow. It was six points if there's air under that ball. Which, getting burned by 10 Ginn, like, it's okay. You got burned by 10 Ginn. It's fine. Then he had a he had a great pass breakup on Michael Thomas where uh, they they the Saints audible to one of their empty checks yes. and the Eagles secondary clearly knew it. Malcolm Jenkins started directing people right away uh, and LeBlanc broke on that ball beautifully. It's a high quality play. Hmm. Stellar tackle on Alvin Kamara, yes. uh, forcing a, a punt on third down. Had some high high quality plays. To me, the same amount of high quality plays that he's had in other games. Like he's played well. You know what I mean? I think he's a good depth corner. We've talked about this. I think you he's a. 53-man roster, 46-man active roster sort of guy to be your fourth, your fifth corner. Interception is obviously very exciting, um, but the interception was not really a high-quality play on LeBlanc's part. It's just just as a note. Good ball skills, bad process before that, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, you got burned by 10 getting out of the slot. Like, I'm the, it's, it's okay. This, the, again, that every, like, ev- there's every corner on the face of the planet that's happened to them once. Yeah. But anyway, so defense played very well. I think the story of the game uh, is going to be the fact that the Eagles offense, only able to generate 14 points, held scoreless after the first quarter. I... Like, honestly, I think the only other time that's ever happened is the last Saints game, <laughs> you know, for like the Doug Peterson era. Right. Um, Usually stay held, yeah, held scoreless. Right. And, and and simply to me, uh, it was a story of poor quarterbacking play uh, in the sense that I would have liked to have seen the depth of target drop down. I would have liked to have seen some easier throws, some more misdirection. But really, to me, it was poor quarterbacking play. So let's talk about Nick Foles, because I want your opinion on this, because Nick Foles, 18, th- 18 for 31, 201 yards, one touchdown two interceptions. What we saw early in the game is what we thought we would saw. The Saints running a lot of man coverage, Foles recognizing it pre-snap, processing it well, getting to getting it to his guy and doing a really good job of facilitating and and putting some balls in some good spots. What we saw after the initial 14 points, those drives were really bad play, really bad placement, bad timing with routes it was panicky it didn't seem like he ever got back into a rhythm at that point until the very very end of the game which is interesting because people are going to take that last drive and it's not going to be Foles' fault and it shouldn't be that last drive Foles was solid there were pieces there that he did really really well but for a very very long period of time in that game Foles was bad that was Foles turning into a pumpkin bad and there was a lot of bad about his process, and it was kind of the double-edged sword of what we talk about with him. There's inconsistencies there because what he likes to do can be taken away very easily if you don't execute very well. And what we saw was poor execution. Like, like we said, you know, man coverage, like what are you going to do against man coverage? You're going to have to like throw guys open when it's good man coverage. And you see like, and I was, like the Eagles had an early three and out. Everybody was really upset on the internet. The reality is they ran the exact same third down play that they've always ran under Foles in yeah. terms of like, ah, motion else on inside. Oh, we've got man coverage. Look where the ball's going. Right. And it was like a fade to the outside. And Alson doesn't come down with the catch, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what 
it's always been with Foles. That isn't necessarily like like bad Foles. Ball could have been a little better, absolutely. But that's 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 your limitation with Foles. That's what you're doing with him on third down. He's taking a shotgun snap, one step drop, hitch, and and throw that little puppy, the little rainbow, you know, to Alshon. You have uh, a Zach Ertz miss in the second quarter where Zach Ertz was open and the ball kind of like it, it got on the outside fingertips of Ertz would have been an incredible catch. Ertz has made some incredible catches for Nick Foles. Yeah. Dallas Goddard's done it. Golden Tate has done it. Alshon Jeffrey has done it. They didn't get the incredible catch that time. End up having a punt on that drive, right? Uh, the the interception, which to me was the 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 turning point, was bad underthrow. Yeah. Bad underthrow. He had it open underneath too, which I think is a big, 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 big narrative in this game. Nick Foles had a lot of opportunities open underneath that he did not take in favor of deeper routes, right? Which is just the opposite of what we've seen like it's just it's so inexplicably different than what got them here and when we talk about nick Foles and we talk about that low depth of target we say it's fine because we want the ball out quick we want him to recognize those things and get it out protect yourself keep yourself clean keep the chains moving be a facilitator let your playmakers make the play he was trying to get his playmakers to make the plays downfield when they weren't necessarily there all of the time and eschewing the underneath stuff that was open, which, again, uncharacteristic for him. And it seemed like he was locked into, this is what I have pre-snap. This is what I'm sticking with. I am taking this shot and not coming off of it. He wanted certain things. And sometimes it's fine when you have Golden Tate on Eli Apple. He's stuck on that thing for the entirety of the route, and it, and it worked, and the results were good. But at the same time, there were some throws that shouldn't have been made where he should have taken the underneath route. Now, the interception, in my opinion, to Zach Ertz, I understand that underneath stuff with stuff was open, but Zach Ertz was open too. He just underthrew it by about seven yards. Even, like, with, like, I, I even, like, I hesitate on, like, taking the pre-snap stuff because, to me, like, he would see what they were giving you underneath stuff pre-snap, and he would still go for it. My worry is that they they kind of really fell into this whole, like, Saints give up a lot of explosive passing plays, Saints give up a lot of stuff to wide receivers. Worked early. Let's go get that. Right. Which really, like, again, like, as, as we talked about in the podcast, didn't hold as true at the end of the season as compared to the beginning of the season. Those numbers were inflated pre-Eli Apple trade before they moved to a lot of man coverage. This constant pushing down the field kind of just, I like, like, not reeked of desperation, but there was like I, I I had such a weird like out of body experience where I was like, "Will you just throw it short of the sticks once?" And I was like, "What did I just say out loud?" Right? I was like, "What am I talking about?" Right? Like, never. But like Mike, like they had an early uh, screen to to Sproles and then in the beginning of the second quarter, and then there's no more misdirection. There's no more quick screen. There's no more bubble. There's no more like pre snap motion into looks like little like oh little wing T reverse to Aguilar. And then it's like just straight West Coast offense. Yeah. Like, where's the where's the quick little stuff? Let's expose the speed of these linebackers. Like, oh, you know, once Brooks goes down, I get it. You can't really get your you're worried about getting your lineman into space as easily. Sure, but you know, uh, uh, Jason Peters goes down. Now your left side and your right side of the line is compromised. I get it. But this is what's been great for Nick Foles moving forward or in the past. And so moving forward, especially when you're like looking to get the offense back on track, you've yeah. been just mired in, in interception, punt, 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 you know, fourth quarter. Let's return to that quick and easy stuff. Get a little bit of rhythm. You know, there wasn't really, in my opinion, a lot of rhythm, uh, even on that final drive, 15 of the yards came the pass interference or not pass interference, defensive, uh, uh, roughing the quarterback. There was a holding call that extended a drive. There's just very little rhythm. All the stuff was, was beyond the sticks. I liked that it was outside of the numbers, but Foles was missing those throws. He was hitting more stuff inside the numbers, in yes. the middle of the numbers, over the intermediate. Like that's, I was really wondering where all that intermediate crossers went, the short crossers went, and the ability for 
to hit players in stride on the run and let them make plays with the ball in their hands, right? So, like, they weren't letting their their weapons make plays with the ball in their hands, getting them the football in space and letting them go. And, and, and to me, that was, um, I think you saw them try to return to the flats a little bit. Right. Uh, return to the, the quick short throws a little bit I on agree. their second to last drive. And then they quickly got behind the sticks, second and eight, third and eight, and they kind of had to push it downfield again. And so yeah. I wonder why that offensive ideological shift was there. We, you know, as as the the name of the podcast basically is, I thought there could be more twelve personnel with Dallas Goddard, <laughs> um, but I, I honestly didn't. I didn't hate the spread too much right. coming into the game. I expected it. Jordan Matthews got more reps than I thought he would, but that's fine. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is not a good player. Definitely give Jordan Matthews snaps over him. So yeah, I think there there uh, some questions about offensive game planning for four quarters, but. Foles is a limited player, and that's kind of what he does to you. So can I tell you about my experience during the game before we go into three words and you can hit whatever last point that you want? Yeah, go for it, go for it, go for it. As the Saints were driving down the field, it took over with 8.38 left to go. They just needed a field goal to go up. And during the drive, I changed my shirt. I put on my Philly Philly shirt. I changed my hat. I actually put on my NFL draft hat because I was actually at, at the NFL draft when my wife was pregnant with the wee baby Augustus. And that's the year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So I said, okay, we did it that year. We won the Super Bowl that year. Let me put on the right. NFL draft hat that I got there. I'll do that. Right. So I got the Philly Philly shirt, the NFL draft hat. I changed that out. I get my pickle Rick, my, my, my stress thing that I always uh, play with while we're recording. And I get my uh, signed uh, NFL draft football, and I'm holding all of these things with my hat, my new shirt, and whatnot. Saints missed the field goal. I mean, they got a big run stuff right after I changed that. Saints missed the field goal. And you're thinking, man. Of course they missed the field goal. Of course. Why not? What was it? Michael Bennett with the big stop there, if I'm not mistaken, that set up a... Yes, sir. Yeah. Fifth round pick, Michael Bennett, baby. (laughs) Makes a splash play. Every game, yeah, yeah, it was negative three yards to Alvin Kamara over the right tackle, according to NFL.com. Makes a big play every week. Michael Bennett, what a great season. But yeah, after that, I thought, wow, man, this is actually going to happen. As poorly as the offense was performing for them, like you can't give them one more chance. You can't give St. Nick one more chance. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out. But I really thought that I had something going there. And I'm usually not a superstitious person. I never do that. I never, I never yep. change anything mid-game or change TVs or whatever the case may be. I did it in this case just because I was so right. desperate. I-, I added God on Twitter, hoping for some kind of divine intervention at some point in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I added Sean Payton on Twitter to tell him to keep <laughs> using Taysom Hill. Uh, <laughs> you ready for some emotions? Yeah. Uh, Aditi Kinkwabala. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce uh, Aditi's last name. Uh, the ball slipped through Alshon Jeffrey's hands, became an interception, and Nick and QB Nick Foles immediately found him. What did Foles say? Quote, he told me he loved playing with me and wouldn't have won a Super Bowl without me, Jeffrey said. Still, I let the city of Philadelphia down. Oh, Alshon! Man. Alshon! Alshon! We will love you forever. We love you, You didn't awesome. let us down. You raised us up. You brought us to new heights. Yeah. You go to all the Sixers games, which I think is really cute. Uh, come on the podcast because I know you're listening to this. Um, don't worry about it. You had a great game. You had a great postseason run. Shout out, uh, shout out Nick Foles as well. Foles uh, at his postgame presser talking about how, you know, what's the most disappointing aspect of this loss? And he said, the fact that this exact team will never play together again. Oh, They're such buddies. Geez, dude. They're all such pals. God, that just pulls at your doggone heartstrings, yeah. man. I love. I freaking mm-hmm. love this team. I love that they fought back and got themselves to to this position and and made it a made it a tough game. Obviously, it doesn't go our Defending way. Defending Super Bowl champions, yeah. knocked out in the divisional round. Like like uh, you know, if you take it from a pure like fifty thousand foot perspective, 
it's like it's not at all like a letdown season. Yeah, we made it to the second round of the playoffs. There were eight teams left. There are the, the two top comments that I love here on three words. I'm just going to throw them out there. Levona oh, transition. V o n a r underscore town. Still love Alshon. Thank you, Lee. Yep. Dan at fly Dan fly. Thank you, Nick. I agree. Those two guys. I've got man. those two. I've got those two ones hearted as well. Um, I really like this one. Jordan Long at Dustoff Guy One says Eagles are unique, which really is true. Like, what a fun team to cover, man. Like, imagine if we covered the Bengals. Yeah. Imagine if we covered, you know, like uh Is there any yeah, like, is there any other NFL team that can take their starting quarterback going down and you're basically dead in the right. water and all the injuries that we suffered throughout this season right. after a Super Bowl hangover that le- that what lasted right. and lingered until week 15 and somehow you get yourself into the playoffs and play the Saints like You that? ready for this? Goodness. Imagine Mike if we covered a team that was still employing and possibly extending a coach who has had been on the head of the team for eight seasons, right and they haven't made it past the divisional round. Right spot, Jason Garrett, Dak right? Prescott. Which is the point? Like we like we could be in such a worse spot other than rooting for this team, which is a such a fun team to root for. It's such a fun team for us to cover. So I really enjoyed that one. Uh, That's why I have a hard time like, blaming the coaching, especially with the stuff that we talked about at the top of the show. Are you kidding me? What Doug Peterson has been able to do since he's taken over? Goodness, right. I will say, uh, so John Filippo interviewed in Arizona today for the offensive coordinator job under Cliff Kingsbury. And Cliff Kingsbury, uh, out of Texas Tech, has made it clear that he will call plays. He would like to bring in an offensive coordinator who has a more traditional NFL approach, West Coast offense, uh, John Filippo, with whom he can meld his concepts to make things more familiar for his players, which is a great call. John Filippo wanted to leave Philadelphia. So not leave Philadelphia, but John Filippo's number one goal in leaving was to get to call plays. Yeah. Him interviewing in Arizona is interesting because he wouldn't call plays there. So if he's changed his tune on calling plays, the only coaching movement I could possibly see would be bringing him back and moving on from Mike Groh. That's the only thing I could possibly see occurring. It is worth noting uh, that's all the more likely to happen, in my opinion, if Zach Taylor is hired as the Bengals head coach. Zach Taylor is the current quarterback's coach for the Los Angeles Rams. Right. And is the older brother of Press Taylor, the Eagles' current quarterback coach. If Zach Taylor is hired for the Bengals, the belief is that his offensive coordinator will be Press. Uh, so Press, the quarterback coach for the Eagles, would leave. At which point, bringing back Filippo then makes 100 times more sense. He was Wentz's quarterback coach when Wentz was putting up MV caliber numbers. That's the only coaching staff movement I can currently see. Uh, in terms of the one that Eagles would create. I don't foresee Jim Schwartz getting a significant amount of inter- interviews, and I think that's great news for Philadelphia. He coordinated very well down the backstretch. Deuce Staley is the only other name I could see potentially getting offensive coordinator interviews at other locations, but we haven't heard anything about that so far. And obviously, staffs are still getting put together, so we'll see what happens in that regard. Three words. Paul, at OS underscore Paul. Regret, disappointment, pride. Which I think, like, that's number great. one really embracing the spirit of three words he just gave us three nouns i think that's awesome um but yeah absolutely like there, i think there's a lot of a lot of regret because there were opportunities in this game that were lost disappointment because this you know you won the super bowl and you're back in this season and, and injuries and things don't go your way and that's disappointing and then a ton of pride because like you know this this team a magical yeah run you know it doesn't have to go to the super bowl for it to be magical they won four straight games to get to the divisional round against the number one team and gave them 60 minutes of play yeah you know down to the point where they were threatening to score inside the 30 with two minutes left like you know it was a uh oh, it was a fun it was a fun team to watch so pride there for sure byronic gyro at byronic gyro one 
Byronic Gyro with the longest active streak of getting mentioned on three words, by the way. Byronic Gyro is a all-star on three words. Let's go Chiefs. Andy Reid still in the playoffs after that big win last week, Ben. So so Chiefs are still in it. You got Part of you as an Eagles fan has got to be rooting for Andy unless you're still bitter about him for some reason. You got to let that hate go. You can't let that ruin your life. Sure, no. <laughs> I'd like I I'll tell you I'll put it to you this way the most important thing I'm rooting for is Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Actually, it was really fun. I got an email from a buddy that he sent to like all of us all of us friends who watch football. That's like super long and like stilted Game of Thrones language about how we need to make sure the Patriots don't win, which mm. is very funny. He lives in New England. He's a Broncos fan. Chiefs over Patriots is the most important thing. I really couldn't care less who wins Rams or Saints. I don't like Sean Payton. I don't like Sean McVay. Saints. Chiefs Super Bowl. I might go for Drew Brees because I really like Drew Brees in that regard. Also, it's always nice when the team that knocked you out of the playoff wins the championship because then you can claim that you would have made it the rest of the way if they hadn't beaten you. But probably I'll end up going for Reed through it all. I mean, if, if Mahomes wins the Super Bowl in his first year starting, we're never going to hear the end of Mahomes hype for nine months. So that will kind of <laughs> drive me crazy. But that's eh, all good. Uh, the last one or two more for me okay. at auctions by Brett. Brett Olson says still bleed green which absolutely always and forever. And then uh, Lou James at L James three says might be able to afford St. Nick as backup after these past two weeks. It's three words guys. It is three. You can, you can just add us with Very that. Very simple. Don't respond to the three words tweet. Yeah. There's a rules. It's three, we, three words, man. Jordan long. My last one at dust off guy. Number one, long uh, loyal listener, gentle listener. Super. And he hyphenated this. I love this because it should be hyphenated Super Bowl 54. So I'll allow it. I'll allow it. He was the one who had my my one that I mentioned earlier. The Eagles are unique as well. So that's a twofer for Jordan there. Oh, nice. Beautiful. Good job, Jordan. Thank you for listening to the show, Ben. Yeah, man. I mean, there's no other way to put this other than we're moving on to next season. and, and uh, Welcome to draft season, baby. That's how we put it. Yeah. Welcome to Love draft season. Love some good season. draft season. Proud of this Philadelphia Eagles team for getting as far as they did. We got you covered throughout the entirety of the offseason, the rest of the NFL playoffs, going into the draft. I got Shine East-West Shrine game practices to go to this week, so I'll be checking that out down in, uh, down in St. Pete. I'll be going to the Senior Bowl in Mobile. So will Ben. I'll be seeing Ben there. We'll be recording a little bit from there as well. So we got you covered on NFL playoffs. We're going to have some great guests on. We got you covered for all the All-Star games. We're going to be covering that as well. We got you covered in free agency, the draft. We got everything that you need here on Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners for the last time in the Eagles regular season 2018? Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you coming by. Uh, the, uh, the joy and despair of fandom is watching your team win the Super Bowl one year and fall just short the next. Uh, but we wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, I'm sure it will take us only a few hours, if not already a few moments, uh, to turn our eyes towards 2019. And I, I know I've done it already, simply sending out the uh, the tweet that says, listen, Eagles are going to be one of the top NFC contenders without a doubt. Uh, this team is wonderfully positioned to make another deep playoff run in terms of getting healthy. They've got key players on rookie contracts. They've got elite players at important positions like right tackle, defensive tackle, and even a quarterback uh, if Wentz comes back healthy. So uh, a fun offseason Philadelphia with a ton of uh, decisions to make. Golden Tate, Nelson Aguilar, Jordan Hicks, Brandon Graham. As a matter of fact, as well, uh, potential retirements uh, incoming, Jason Peters, Jason Kelsey, and Chris Long. And, of course, uh, what will be the fate of Nick Foles and how will his contract situation be handled? There's a ton of fun stuff that we'll be covering throughout the offseason and bring on the experts who can help us break down things like the cap and like free agency. So 
We don't know exactly what the schedule will be moving forward. Like Mike said, he's at Shrine Game Practices this week, which you can uh, follow him on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T to see all the updates on that draft event. The following week will be the Senior Bowl. Mike and I will both be there. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, S-O-L-A-K. And you can follow us, follow the draft prospects there as well as we prepare for the 2019 NFL Draft. Philadelphia uh, owns the 25th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft officially, and of course they also do own the Ravens' second uh, second round pick from the Lamar Jackson trade last year. They're also looking at potentially two fourths and a sixth in the compensatory draft pick formulas. We're talking about nine total draft picks. As I said, we don't know exactly what the schedule will be, but if you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever app you listen to your podcasts, we don't need to know the schedule because no matter when we post something, you will get notified. So do most of my job for me and subscribe to the podcast so that whenever our episodes drop here in the final weeks of playoffs and in the first weeks of draft season, you will get those notifications. Eagles are going to be a fun team to cover next year as well. I've been Benjamin Solak. He's been Michael Kist. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you later this week. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.